deal. Let's do it. Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast for anybody who's interested in reinventing what education is. I'm Rob McLeod and joined as always... Brendan O'Leary. O'Leary. All the way from Wigan, Japan. Brendan. Rob. This podcast is insufferable because we use a lot of jargon and we kind of keep sending people back to previous episodes. Uh, For example, today is part three of a discussion we started two episodes ago about a Mm. security school. So if you're new and you're here, uh, things can be confusing, but we'd like to try to give you kind of our basic map or the user's manual for listening to this podcast. So Brendan, let's talk about these components we are using to talk about school through. Reinventing Education in a Nutshell. Three aims of school. So we are saying that school, as an institution, as a thing, has three aims. And the three things school is trying to do are to prepare students for the workforce. So occupational preparation is the first aim. Cultivation of citizenship. Wow. Try that again. Cultivation of citizenship. Yes. And self-development. Four values in school. So those are the three things school is trying to do. How those things are done are influenced by four different value systems that are kind of calling the shots in terms of what education looks like. And we are using the terms security, opportunity, inclusion, and integration as our names for those four values that are influencing what education looks like. And if you're new to us, but you're familiar with either Spiral Dynamics or the work of Frederick Leloux or Integral Theory, security matches up with the blue or amber value, opportunity with the orange value, Uh, inclusion is green, and integration is teal or yellow. And if you don't know what those colors mean, don't worry. We'll try and fill in the gaps as, as we go along. The four elements of school. So the four elements essentially are four different perspectives or four different Things about school. So if we ask, where do you find school? You find school in these four elements. And those are the beliefs and reactions that happen inside of the individuals who are experiencing school. Those happen in the communities and culture. So the groups of people and the shared values that exist between those people. We also have the practices and resources So we have the ways that we do things and we have materials to do those things with. So you could look at those aspects of school and you can also look at the environment and the systems. So you can actually look at the physical space of a school and you can also look at the systems that are used to organize how things are done. Splendid. So that is our shtick in a nutshell. And what about the people that have been with us now for a year? Let's do some of that good old touchy-feely lower left community and culture building. How are you doing, Rob McLeod? Doing fairly well. I'm actually just starting three weeks of parental leave. So I had my baby back in the summer and in Belgium, they give you a whopping 10 days of paternity leave. And so I've lined that up to be the two weeks that uh, occur before my October break. So I've got three weeks of time off and my parents are showing up tomorrow. They're flying in from Canada and they're going to see their their second born grandchild for the first time. And really looking forward to spending some time with them. Feet feet and sue in Le, feet and sue in Levant Le Neuve. 
You got essentially none of those words right. So Feet is the nickname of my dad. Sue is my mom's actual name. And we're living in levant le neuve right now in the south of Belgium. Excellent. You got all of those words right. Tell me some words about your life right now. My life right now. So, but generally on this side of the country, the uh, O'Leary life is going pretty well. Um, this is my first year now as uh, the curriculum coordinator at my school. So I'm just getting used to no longer actually being a classroom teacher. More of my time is spent actually working in small groups with teachers, which is a a really interesting change of pace and perspective. And uh, yeah, so enjoying it and trying to get used to this new role after 12 years of teaching the Bairns. That's it. That's all I got. So today we are going to continue. That was a bad non sequitur on my part. I think I was just appreciating bad transition. Yeah, it was. It was weird that you didn't respond. Yeah. To what I said at all. Most humans would give some kind of response after someone shared how they were doing. I was trying to see if there was some smooth segue from that into what we're going to talk about today, but I didn't have one. And then to prove that I didn't um, have one, we did a very awkward transition there. Long silence. I'm tempted to leave this all in, but I'm sure it'll all be cut out. No, please leave this in. When I was in okay. radio, believe it or not, I was actually a radio DJ for a little while. <laughs> you are the professional in this in this in this setup. You are the professional, yes. And I remember the words of my first boss is silence is golden. Give as much silence as you want. As much dead air on radio as you possibly want. That's that's what the listeners tune in for. It is. 25 minutes of dead air. Speaking of dead air, today we're going to continue a conversation about the security school. And what we have been doing over the last little while is taking the first three of those four values that I mentioned. So the first three values being security, opportunity, and inclusion. And what we are doing is a bit of a thought experiment with each. And we are pointing out that today in 2019, all of these values are having some influence, some say on how education is carried out, whether at the primary school level, high school, post-secondary level. And what's really complicated and really difficult to do is to see these values in isolation. And really, like you and I, we've basically been talking about this every day with each other for the last year and a half. And I think you and I are just starting to get a little bit clearer on actually identifying these things um, fairly accurately when we see them in our schools or with staff we're talking with or with parents, with administrators, whatever. And these values are incredibly important because we've often used the analogy of these are like completely different sports happening on the same field. They have completely different objectives, completely different goals, completely different ideas about what school should look like. Now, occasionally they have similar ideas, like they will agree, oh yeah, we should do that. But even if they agree on the same activity or system or something, they have completely different reasons for agreeing on that. And sometimes the the difference in reasons bubbles up later as an issue. So in part, to help 
listeners and help ourselves really get a feel and a flavor for these values, we're trying to present them on an island in a vacuum that obviously historically hasn't existed and certainly does not exist today. But we're trying to show where these values would be healthiest. And by healthiest, we mean the best match for their context. So what's happening in the school is serving the society, it's serving the citizenry, it's serving the individuals who are in there. Um, and the school is a reflection of the larger world. And in this case, it's a larger world that has no influence from these other values that we're talking about. And we're trying to, to see them in their dis distilled version. And we're trying to paint a utopian or a vision that a person operating from this perspective with this value, shall we say, a security value, would see this school as the, the zenith, the absolute peak of what school should and could be. So in the previous two episodes, we have painted out um, a large part of what we might see inside that school. We've met the head, we've observed a class, we've been to an assembly, we've talked about morning routines. And today we're going to take it forward and we're going to look a little bit more around the school and maybe get on to talking about uh, connections with the community around the school, the learning space. Good now. So this is the third part of our visit to this security school. And we have taken a look in the classroom to look more specifically at some of the activities and practices of the class. But we'd like to look around at the security classroom once again and put more emphasis on the environment rather than so much about the practices that we see. So when we walk in, again, as we mentioned, orderly desks in rows facing the chalkboard. If it's 2019, a smart board. But these things are being controlled by the teacher who is at the front of the room. Sometimes we call this the sage on the stage. Like they're the wise person they're doing their duty to teach and to cover the information that the students are upholding their duty in this room. And when we look around the room onto the walls, everything is very tidy. There are a few posters and boards. We see, you know, information pertaining to the region that we are in. So we might see the flag of the country. We might see the flag of the district or the province or the state or the region. There's a picture of the monarch or some authority figure, someone who is important to your area they are being represented in that room. You have the sense of this is your land. This is where you belong. This is this is who you are a part of. There may be some rules on the wall, um, but they're, they're probably not written out so much explicitly. Um, they might be more kind of like guidelines or common sense statements. If there is a religious background, you might see some Ten Commandments or some variation depending on the faith within the school. You'll also see some things on the wall. They are to help students. They're there to help students remember things. So you'll probably see the alphabet on the wall. There might be some math facts, information reminding you of the different types of punctuation, um, or, you know, some easy word mnemonics to help you memorize, you know, a pattern or your times tables or something like that. Now, this is more so if we're talking about the younger grades. By the time you move up in the school, by high school, there's probably less on the walls um, because you've kind of memorized all those basic things. There is definitely a clock on the walls so that time can be kept track of. And if the school has a motto, you're likely to see the school motto. It probably appears within each classroom and as well in the school lobby. And 
And so I guess we head out of the classroom and into the grounds of the school. As you'd expect, the, the grounds of the school are very well kept. There is a garden by a gardener. And beyond that, there are sports fields for each of the popular sports that are played in this area. So the, the gardens are ornamental. They're not functional. So no, no there's no veggie gardens. gardens. We don't see mm. the students taking part in this. They are purely to show the beauty of nature and a professional and expert is in charge. Now, he occasionally may have um, he occasionally may have some of the older students being trained up in this area, but it is not a place where children would, would experiment with um, farming and growing techniques. Now, beyond that, we have the, the fields, a soccer field, a basketball field, maybe a baseball field, some other areas. There may even be a swimming pool out there or an indoor pool. And you would see teams actually training in there either during their sports classes and very likely after school, sometimes several times a week. They take the team element very seriously and the coach will be providing them with lots of drills. So we look out onto the soccer field, the football field, and we see the team going through a series of drills. Each player is more or less doing the same drill. And then we will see it put into action into a short game at the end. But there's a big emphasis on the drilling part, the technical skills inside the sport. So we've now talked about the environment of the classroom, the environment outdoors around the school. Let's talk a little bit now about class culture or school culture or ethos. What's most evident here is that there is a real sense of group identity. There is this real sense of we, our school, and that the name of your school really is an identity that the people within it belong to. You are a teacher of this school. You're a student of this school. And you are in our group by the very nature of you being in this school. Because when you're in our group, you are in our group fully. There's nobody who's on the fringe, really. Everybody who is part of the group is accept because everybody follows the same rules. And because we're all agreeing to follow the same rules that everyone's in on, we are all on the same page. If you're following those rules, you're part of the team, you're part of the group. We have set up an environment here where everybody at the school is already accepted. Now, again, this is a utopian vision. Within this, within the school that we are visiting, every person is accepted, which means that whatever would lead a school to not accept someone into the group doesn't apply here. Now, we will come to this later. When we step outside of this school visit and talk about some of the issues with maybe these with a security school, we will look at what happens when somebody from a different culture, when somebody who has a special need arrives at the school. We have set up this school specifically to have nobody inside this group who clashes with the culture. And so what we do see is that for all the differences of the individuals, there is a group sensibility and a strong sense of community. Now, that doesn't mean everybody looks exactly the same and act exactly the same. It means that everybody adheres to the same value. And we have a shared agreement about how things should be done. That is our culture. And, and someone can come from the outside, even in this thought experiment, but they need to agree to those rules. They need to agree to these norms. And if they do, they are accepted. Everybody who has arrived at the school, no matter when they have arrived, they are fully on board with everything the school does and they believe in it. The context for them is the right place. And we see 
this socially where like students, you know, are willing to sit with anybody. There's not that cliquey sense of there's the in-group and the out-group. There is just, there is our group. Of course, you've got preferences. You've got a few favorite friends or whatnot, but you would never let your individual friendships come at the expense of the group's well-being. And we even see this show up in the dining hall where students, sure, you know, they might want to sit beside their best friends, but ultimately they're willing to sit beside anybody. You walk into the dining hall and the meals are set and the places are more or less where you go every single day. Everybody would eat the food served by the school and you'd eat your lunch sensibly and then head out for your play. Just up from the dining hall, we see the library. Classes have a fixed period within the library. They can take a specific number of books and there are due dates. They can use the library after school for homework. And the library is well stocked and has a range of books on many, many subjects that students may encounter in their learning. Beyond the library, we move up to the gymnasium. Now the gymnasium doesn't have several functions. It just has a single function. There is a other space in the school which can be used as a theater. So the gymnasium purely functions as a place for inside sports. As we saw a little earlier about the sports field outside, the gymnasium is well stocked and well set up for multiple sports. And the teams we see in there are being coached through their drills and are taking the whole thing really very seriously. Now, Simon's with us. If you remember Simon, our imaginary headmaster, he says, of course, not every school can afford to provide all of these facilities to the level that we do. However, we see them as an ideal and we we hope that a school would provide the resources that are necessary for a student to take part in these sporting activities. Now we've discussed the culture of school, we've discussed the environment inside the classrooms and around the school. Let's take a look back now at some of the practices and systems. Let's first begin with attendance. So of course, attendance is mandatory. And if for some reason you are not there, the school follows up, especially if students are absent for no good reason. Now all of these students are showing up to school because they know it's their duty. There's no coercion necessary here. Students know and believe that They need to turn up to school, do what they do, because it's going to help them now and into the future to fulfill their roles and duties in society. As far as behavior management and discipline, there's just clear common sense sayings and ideas about what is expected and, of course, what's not tolerated at the school. But you might not necessarily see like a specific school handbook with the rules written out or, you know, detailed instructions about conduct. You will have a more general common sense of what you should and shouldn't do. Now, of course, at this school, this isn't happening because it's our thought experiment. But, you know, we ask Simon, like, what would happen if a student did do something naughty? So, you know, they were hurting somebody or doing something that goes against the group. And he says, well, this would be a place where we read out the names of who needs to come to the office for punishment. You know, it gets put over the the PA system. So all students hear that, you know, someone has kind of broken our agreement on how we do things. And there's a clear punishment and let and reassuring everybody that, you know, this is being followed up on. It might also be done at an assembly where if a student was to do something that was against the school's 
sense of proper conduct, well, then maybe they get called up and there is a punishment publicly or a talking down or or at least an apology from that student to the rest of the group and stating that they've you know seen their error and they understand why we do things the way we do and we will get back to back to being a secure safe place where everyone will be following these rules now these rules you know the tricky part about rules is do you want to follow the rule or do you want to do what's right as an administrator and really if there was to be an incident they would be taken on a case-by-case basis and handled by Simon, our headmaster, to sort out what the punishment would be, to sort out, you know, given this infraction, given who the student is, you know, what is the punishment? Is there something they need to do to make up for it? But there wouldn't necessarily be like a clear protocol of, oh, if a student hits somebody, then X happens. It's left up to Simon, who's a common sense kind of guy. So we've taken a really good tour around the school and we poked our head into most places, but one area we have not looked is the role of a parent. We saw the parents at the beginning of the day hanging around the gates, maybe occasionally uh, we saw them at the school gates talking to each other, building that community there. We would see them. So the question we had for Simon is, what is the role of a parent in the school? And he said that a parent's role is at home to support their child. And later on, there is actually a parent evening and we'll get a chance to see how the parent and the teacher interact when they talk about about the student. So looking forward to going to jump in on a few of those meetings later. But first, he mentions about parents who have specific roles within the school, such as helpers within the library or the Parent Teacher Association. Now, particularly, he talks about the Parent Teacher Association and how it is seen as a duty and how parents take it very seriously. And they have whole school duties. So they will take part in the preparation for whole school events. So when there is a a summer festival. A retirement of a staff member or a big holiday celebration. Within the school, the parents would heavily be involved. There is a social expectation to help out at school. It's duty and there's a social responsibility for parents to take part uh, in in some of these roles during the time while the, their child is at school. Now, one thing he told us about is that occasionally, if there's bad weather or something like that, the school may need to close. And uh, this for me was quite a unique way that parents would be given responsibility for that in the sense that there was actually a telephone chain where one parent had the responsibility to to telephone two other parents and those parents would then telephone two others and so each parent would actually work through this chain so that every parent in the class were able to get this important information quickly. Now in 2019 they also send out emails but this this was a kind of a backup and it was really interesting for me to see how much responsibility was put on the parents in that situation to make sure that, that this important information was shared within the community. If we begin to look at the teacher-parent relationship, this is a school that, like almost any school, will have parent-teacher nights, usually twice a year, and parents sign up for a time slot that is given by the school for when they will meet with the teacher. And essentially, when these meetings start, there's one question that comes up first on the parent side, which is like, is my kid behaving? And then followed by, and where are they in the class? And the parent 
here is really looking to see what duty they can take on for the child. And is there extra homework that's needed? Is there practice that we can be doing at home? Let us know because we want our child to be, you know, a part of the class group and to be doing their duty of the learning that is expected of them. So the teacher tells them these kinds of answers. And essentially what the teacher says is gospel. They are seen as the authority. They know what's best. You know, this is almost like receiving a doctor's prescription. You know, I've seen this in class. Here's what needs to be done at home to complement what we are trying to do so that your child won't fall behind, for example. And all of this information is basically going one way. It's coming from the teacher to the parent. Now, there might be a larger parent meeting as well, where all of the parents are able to maybe sit in the classroom with the teachers so they can see where their child is spending the day. And during this time, there'll be information that's given to all parents simultaneously, all at once, so that everyone's heard the same message. It's clear, it's secure. There might be information about school trips. There might be information about, you know, some of the activities that will be coming up in school, but all parents are hearing it from the teacher. And outside of these meetings, if the teacher contacts the parent for anything else, it's probably going to be bad news. So sure, the exception might be if, you know, a field trip's coming up and, you know, perhaps there was an additional bit of information parents needed to know, that's fine. But essentially, if a teacher is contacting the parent, it's about bad news, whether it be behavior or a bad mark on a test, something like that. However, being that this is our thought experiment, those kinds of calls aren't happening because the child is fulfilling their duty and the parents are fulfilling theirs. And there would be other times in the year when the whole community would meet together. I just briefly talked about the PTA and how they would be setting up large events. Some of those events may be a whole school picnic time, Christmas concert or a series of performances. There may be a talent show where the people with the highest level of skill in the school would be up on stage to show everybody their uh, abilities. And at these at these events, all parents would be expected to show and unless they had a very, very good reason. And of course, this being Utopia Security School, the evening when we see the when we see the talent show, we would see every parent there well presented and ready to really celebrate the community. As far as community outreach or the community around the school, the town, the nation coming into the school, we typically see see this being done through authority figures or roles from the society entering into the school. So for example, the police, they would have a presence in the school and they might come in and give talks about being good citizens. You know, uh, the bike training might be outsourced to them uh, or some other, you know, sort of local government group because the child's ability to be safe and secure on the road, that is an important thing for everybody outside the school and in the greater community. You want children who are able to uphold the rules and regulations of, of the community to be out there in the world. The firemen, another role in the community, they might come in and talk about fire safety, fire prevention, what to do in a fire. And there might even be a connection between the local government office uh, in a bureaucratic sense. So the local education authority or superintendent might come in to check the school. And in this particular case, that that relationship would be a very positive one. And as well, the students will leave the school from time to time for a field trip, most often to something like the police station or a fire department or to see some other role in the community being carried out or for some kind of local celebration so they can be a part of that. As well, you know, the students will give back in some ways. Uh, for example, some of the students might practice their traditional Christmas carols and they might go to one of the retirement homes in the area or something like that to cheer up their fellow man in the holiday season. So we've seen a lot in this one day. We have a 
few more minutes with Simon, the head of this school, and we ask about observation, whether or not Simon gets to go in to see a lot of the teachers. Now, observations are used more so as a procedure. So, for example, there is one annual visit where Simon goes into each class because that's part of his duty to ensure that the class is running in a safe and secure way and that the norms of the community, the norms of the school are being upheld. And really, these are typically just a matter of procedure. In this school, of course, there's never any real problems. He's not going in and being shocked by what's happening because this is a security school. There is this sense of of continuity, of certainty of what's going on, and, and everybody is upholding the norms of what's common sense to be doing in these classrooms. Now, that's not to say that the teachers don't have the opportunity to see each other as well. Um, PD, so professional development within this school, it's really seen as a chance to see other classrooms, so to get out of your own room and to see what the other people in the school are doing well. And it also might just come back to a topic of interest of a staff member. So a staff member might say, oh, you know, one of my favorite parts of what we're already doing is this. I would like to go see another staff member who's doing something like this. And It's almost time for us to go, Rob. Go back to our hotel and have a good old chat about the school. And the next morning before we head out on our merry way to um, Opportunity Town, we go back to the school just to say thank you to Simon. But while we're there, we drop in at the school's kindergarten. It's something I was really, really interested in seeing because how a value system views the notion of childhood and early childhood is really, really an interesting place because it doesn't always follow with how the value would present itself in adulthood or in teenage years. So as we enter the kindergarten of the security school, what kind of things do we see? So what we notice is, shockingly, the structures that we see students partaking in in the primary school, those aren't present there. There is much less of a drill and routine sense. There are certainly times of day where certain activities happen. There is a nap time, there is a lunch time, these sorts of things. But somewhat shockingly, that same sense of like being on top of every moment of what's happening, as we saw in the primary school and the secondary school here, that's not here now. It's not present in the kindergarten days. There is much more of a sense of freedom, a space that's set up for students to just spend their time in, you know, to engage in activities that they find interesting. And it really seems as though the culture here really makes a clear distinction between the different phases of school. So there isn't this sense that from the earliest ages you enter in and you're on some continuous track. There's sort of this actual garden time. Like kindergarten comes from the idea of like a child's garden, like... This is a time for you to grow and develop and more or less be ready to enter into our school system. This is a time for you to get those kind of soft skills, the social side of things. This is a time for you to develop your vocabulary and whatnot. Because when it is time for you to move over and enter into our school system, then you have a new duty. You begin to take on your first duty and your first duty as a student is to do the learning that is expected of you. And interestingly, the kindergarten, the early years program within the school doesn't match that and seems to have this idea that the best, most beneficial thing to get a student ready to enter the system is the freedom in an environment and a culture where they are accepted and allowed to be who they are so that they are ready to enter into this system. The environment is set up with lots and lots of free choice as to what they're doing. 
running around playing self-directed games, painting, drawing, making. It's not a guided inquiry as you might see in the Montessori or an IB style school. And there are no academics, there's no phonics, there's no reading, there's no writing, uh, there's no math. It is all entirely student directed and they are entirely free to create or not create to finish pieces, to play games. Now, there is a pervasive sense that we should play nicely with each other, that we should begin to integrate ourselves into that community, that we should be including. And so we do see a lot of games happening and a lot of individual pursuits and a lot of small group activities that are entirely directed by the children. And this is really, really interesting. This idea of that perception of early childhood in the security school is, as you said, this is your place to grow because very soon you will have a set of responsibilities. And that's interesting because of the three aims of school, the citizenship, the work preparation, and the self-development, it really is the citizenship that the security school pushes and not so much the self-development. Once you get out of the kindergarten, you are part of our community and your main aim here is to become a citizen that can operate within this community. So for me, it's not really a disconnect or a dissonance, but it's an interesting way to frame security. I mean, part of it may be that at that age, you're not really in a position to undermine the security of the society because you have no responsibilities, you have no power, you have no authority. And so whatever it is you do, it will not affect our security in a negative way. But as you begin to get older, more and more responsibility needs to be handed to you so that you can perform your duty. And with that, we vroom, head vroom. out out of Security Island and we get ready to move over to Opportunityville and we will take school visits to an Opportunity School being the next value and then the Inclusion School, which will be the value after that one. Brendan, we've now spent three full episodes talking about a hypothetical school that, as we said last time, of course you're never going to find this. However, you are going to find aspects of what we've just talked about still in schools in 2019. So although this has been a thought experiment, although it's been an isolated island, at the same time, you will see pieces of this present today. We'll paint a more realistic picture of what a, a security school might look like. What happens when special needs students arrive? What happens when there are behavioral issues? What happens when the wider culture is actually working against these security values, whether that's because the value of opportunity is questioning whether you are presenting these students with real freedom and choice and um, setting them up for the 21st century, or whether it's from one of the other values that really questions what it is you do. Look at that. We gave you one moment to begin criticizing this. Yeah, And like sure. seven of the most obvious things started flying out of your mouth. Like bo both you and I have been biting our tongue our own values are clearly quite out of alignment with the school we've been presenting. We've been holding back our criticisms and, That's right. and willing to suspend our disbelief briefly. But of course, the school we've just described is completely inadequate for preparing students in 2019. However, it is inadequate when taken as a whole. But we, what we are arguing is there are aspects, there are partial truths 
of this approach to schooling. There are babies here that we don't want to throw out with the bathwater. There are certain things that are important that we want to keep as we move forward in the evolution of education. We will spend some time on those. And, and bearing in mind that these criticisms are also the driving force in moving the school from that security value into the opportunity value, which is a more complex worldview. And we describe this school as fitting very well into a medieval pre-capitalist feudalist state. Um, and yeah, I'm interested to see now how we paint that picture of the opportunity school. We've tussled with it for a while. Let's just leave it there on a, on a cliff edge as we drive towards opportunity school. Any last, any last words, brave sailor? Before you kill me? I'm Seb. Before you die, what is your last meal of words for the podcast listeners? Well, Brennan, the last thought I have for today is that this has been, I think, almost borderline tedious, personally, for the reasons we were just discussing, like to try to not spit criticisms in as we go or like just laugh like <laughs> that. You have no kids who are against <laughs> this? Like, have you been to a school? Um, but... Again, the reason we are doing this is to try to lay out the context or the environment or the garden that these values have emerged from. Because our next step is to go in depth into the values and to see the values in a vacuum, I think, is potentially more dangerous. To see how they emerged is the important part. To understand the context to some degree, historically, environmentally, socially, where did these things come from is important. So we will continue these theoretical or hypothetical school visits. But what I think you and I are doing ultimately is laying the foundation or groundwork that when we begin to go into detail about these values and how and why we shift from one value to the next, and to be able to also point out, as we've done on some previous episodes where we've taken news stories and tried to point out how the values were at play here, one of the things we're trying to do is point out how these values are calling the shots in education right now. And we're attempting to make this like a new grammar for how we talk about schools or like a new lens or a new map, we've often said. Because without this level of granularity, I just picture us wasting so much time and spinning our wheels, having a tug of war between these three values, trying to call the shots. Now, the idealistic part of me thinks, oh, and if people just hear this, they'll see it and then they'll know it. And, and then, you know, things will just go so much smoother. I know that's not the case, but my hope is that this work will be useful for teachers, for administrators, and even for parents, and for students to see why school looks the way it does, where they are, in their context and to be able to have a bit of a map to see what else yeah. is possible. And you want to sell it to people that. like bags full of cash for it as well. One gold bar for his book. <laughs> there you go. And seven and gold and coins that, for some children, coaching. boys and girls and men and women, people of earth. That wraps up episode 38, 28, 38, episode 29 of our podcast. 29 maybe. Goodbye. Thanks Rob. Thanks Brendan. We hope this episode has been interesting. If you want to connect, we're on Twitter, or you can join our private Facebook group just searching Reinventing Education Podcast. Request and we'll let you in. We're kind of building a community there. So far, it's kind of been sharing news stories that reinforce our narrative about the four values competing against one another in education. But let's see if we want to organize to do more than that there. 
Feel free to pass this episode on to others who give a damn about what's going on in education. From Brendan and myself, attention is a valuable thing these days. Thanks for having some of yours on what we're saying. Brendan O'Leary. Oh, my mic is super loud for some reason. How about that? Oh, that, those are much better levels. I'm recording right now, and I'm super loud, so I'm going to turn it down. Oh, no. That's okay, actually. I'm going to, I think, when we start, have we started? Yeah. Welcome to the Reinventing of Education podcast. I'm Rod McLeod, and here I am to introduce you to the internet, uh, next levels of the internet school. We've got a... We've got a Twitter account and Facebook, and we'd love it if you were logged in on those. And here, as always, is Brendan O'Leary. Before we start, just to be sure, security opportunity. Yeah. yeah. You got your note? In- inclusion. Yeah. And, inter- and integration. Now, I did... I'd like, either as a beginning blurb or the beginning of every episode, for us to do a 30-second in a nutshell. I think we're at that point where where we're like, you know, Spider-Man, Peter Particle, was was bitten by a radioactive spider. Now he fights with great responsibility, etc., etc. Now he's Bruce Wayne in the Batcave. Yeah. Yeah. How about if I say three aims, and then you say the aims, and then I say four values and you say the four values and I say four elements we call them elements the quads right yeah 